this may mean nothing or this may mean a whole lot. Dimitri Flowers is already getting write-ups in New York media. Yep, immediately following that Jets rookie minicamp, I've seen not one, but two stories about OU's second most important offensive player in 2017. J.J. Conrad of the New Jersey Star-Ledger reports that Flowers' locker is right next to Sam Darnold's. While the third overall pick was mobbed by the media, there was Flowers sitting at his locker, head in the playbook. In another report by the New York Daily News, Manish Mehta writes, The Jets' decision to sign undrafted free agent rookie fullback Dimitri Flowers from Oklahoma wasn't back page material, but it might just turn out to be one of those savvy moves that helps Todd Bowles' team continue to head in the right direction as it enters the next phase of its rebuilding process. Oh, and by the way, the headline from that New York Daily News article, quote, the Jets may have found an offensive weapon in this versatile and unheralded rookie. Now, an undrafted free agent getting write-ups in New York-based newspapers, does that happen very often? I'll admit I'm not an expert in New York sports reporting. Again, this may mean nothing or it may mean a whole lot. Either way, it's neat to see Flowers already being recognized as a player who could not only make the Jets' 53-man roster but actually be an impact player. Now, you know, I'm not high on Jets offensive coordinator Jeremy Bates, but according to the article in the Daily News, Bates's West Coast offense may have some use for a Swiss Army knife player like Dimitri Flowers. I hope that's true. Flowers is a great football player, and I'd love to see him fit nicely into an NFL offense. Baker Mayfield certainly knows the value of Flowers. Perhaps Sam Darnold will soon learn as well. In fact, Flowers was asked bluntly, which quarterback will have a better NFL career, Mayfield or Darnold? Flowers' reply, quote, how are you going to ask me that right now? Saying that with a laugh, Flowers went on to say, that's insane. I plead the fifth. Flowers providing the perfect answer, although something tells me inside his head, Dimitri definitely wanted to say Baker, without a doubt. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Loss of two, second and 12 for Tebow and the Gators. Intercepted by Nick Harris. The first turnover of the night. 32 takeaways by this Oklahoma defense on the year. Their first in the championship game. Nick Harris welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Harris grabbed the first of two Tim Tebow interceptions in 2009's BCS National Championship game. Of course, Gerald McCoy would pick off Tebow later on in the first half as well. OU's defense mostly played well against Florida. However, the Sooners' prolific offense stalled inside the red zone way too many times, and the Gators went on to beat OU 24-14 to win the national title. Hello, everybody. Once again, I am Lee Benson. Grant will join me in a moment to talk about Lincoln Riley. Is the NFL in his future? He was asked about that by Adam Schefter this week. Plus, we'll talk Baker Mayfield. He just went through Brown's rookie minicamp. And, of course, the meat of the show will include us revisiting our way-too-early OU offensive and defensive starters predictions for 2018. You might remember that we made our predictions back in February before spring practice began, and today we will update those predictions now that more informa uh, information is available. We'll get to all of that in a bit, but first I want to say thank you to all 
who follow and like us on Facebook. And thank you for watching the Facebook Live before the show with the opening take. We've been getting more and more traction on Facebook recently. Last I checked, we're up to 55 likes on our West of Evers podcast page. If you've got Facebook and you haven't given us a like just yet, please swing on over and do that at your convenience. Liking the page will keep you up to date with all the news surrounding the show, and it also gives you a platform to sound off if you have any questions or comments. I definitely recommend liking the page at this juncture because following this episode, Grant and I will be taking a little bit of a break from the podcast. However, we will continue to update the West of Evers Facebook page during the hiatus, so we'll make sure to post updates on the page about when the show will resume. Also, thanks to you all who have left us a rating and or review on iTunes. We've gotten nothing but five-star reviews and ratings so far. We appreciate the kind response to the show, and if you'd like to give us a rating or review, please do that if you listen to the show on iTunes. Finally, if you've got any comments, questions that you don't want to put on our Facebook page, you can email us the old-fashioned way, westofeverest at gmail.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. I think the plan will be once we get closer to the start of the new football season in the fall, whenever people are, are a lot more dialed into football, there's a good chance that we will make a Twitter as well. But right now we are focusing on Facebook and trying to grow that as much as possible. Uh, so right now, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you have to follow us on our uh, our individual pages. There's no West of Evers Twitter page. So that's in the works potentially in the future. With that all out of the way, let's bring in Grant to see how everything is going these days in the beautiful state of Minnesota. Lee, it's dark, it's wet, it's slightly warm, but nobody cares about that, even though I do give the weather update every single week. I have two items for you, Lee. I have I, I, one thing to mention about your opening take. First of all, I'm going to go ahead and applaud you. Um, I've, I've kind of, you know, taken a break the last, the last week or so from sports, not really by necessity or anything like that, but mostly just because we're kind of in a dark period right now for news and anything going on. So I'm going to give you a lot of credit there for coming up with a really interesting opening take about Dimitri Flowers there. I thought I enjoyed that one. That was one of your better ones, I think. So I, I want to say good job on that. Well, and, thank you. And, and also, I, I do. I, I think I had made the comment, oh, about you know, about four months or so ago now after the after the Rose Bowl, um, that that you know that probably wasn't the the most painful loss uh, in my fandom at OU. The uh, the opening uh, kind of intro, the the Nick Harris interception from that game, the 2009 BCS National Championship game, that is absolutely the hardest loss I've ever endured as an OU football fan. Still is to this day. That one sucked. Yeah, so going back to find that Nick Harris play, of course I, I knew where it was because I certainly remember that play to this day. I'm sure we all do when he picked off Tebow in the first quarter and uh, Oklahoma got a lot of momentum. Of course, I ended up watching about uh, the first, you know, uh, let's see, about two and a half quarters of it because I saw on YouTube they had a 30-minute edited version, so I didn't have to scrub through it all. It it would cut each play. And, boy, I mean, just a frustrating game because it's Oklahoma's offense was really good for the most part. It just, like I said in the uh, earlier bit ago, that the offense just stalled out in the red zone. They had – multiple chances inside the five yard line inside the three yard line I think even more specifically in the first half and came away with zero points on each of them one was a turnover on downs when they had second and goal from the one and three straight running plays couldn't push the pile of yard for a touchdown 
And then later on in the in the second quarter, near the end of the half, Bradford was picked off on a tip pass at the goal line. That I was just like, come on! It just it, no breaks when Oklahoma was way in that game. And then I ended up watching like half of the third quarter, and I, I couldn't stand it anymore because as I watched Florida's offense, it was to me it was gimmicky Tebow left, gimmicky Tebow right. Tebow doesn't know what to do, so Tebow just runs with it because Tebow is not a very good quarterback, but he's a very big guy, and you had to respect his his ability to throw it, and you had to also respect his ability to run it. So whenever he was uncertain, he would just pull it down and run, and no matter what, he would always fall forward because he was a massive, massive guy. And so anytime they got into trouble, they just leaned on Tebow, just pulling it down and running. And whenever he needed to, he would drop back and then deliver a perfect pass even though his arm was not very good and he was not really known for his accuracy well in that game he was able to put pretty much every single ball right on the money with the exception of his two interceptions incredibly frustrating game so now we've uh angered all the OU fans listening to this podcast bringing them back those awful memories of that night in 2000 more trailing thoughts on that game Lee just I, I just want to bring up because if we're talking about it I might as well you know air these out um, very first drive of the game, offensive drive of the game, uh, the the major right hit helmet to helmet hit on Manuel Johnson, which kind of set the the tone for the the game. If you don't remember it, uh, major right delivered a, a a violent, brutal helmet to helmet hit on Manuel Johnson on I, which would have been within I the first five plays of the game, I believe. Um, yeah, it, and, in this day and age, and, it would have been and it would have been an, an automatic targeting would have been upheld. He would have been kicked out. Probably would have been suspended. It was that. It's one of the worst instances of targeting I've ever seen. Actually, um, so yeah, I'm glad you brought brought that up. And you can continue a second. I just wanted to bring it up just going back and watching it again for the first time in years. It was kind of jarring to watch that play and just have it be a normal play. Like none of the announcers commented on it. None of the officials did anything about it. Whereas like now, ten years later. Like you said, that's pretty much been taken away from it's the one game. Of, it football. was that, that plays. So I, I would really, if 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 you're an OU fan listening to this, and I'm assuming a majority of you are, uh, if you really want to get pissed off today, go go to YouTube and and just go to the first offensive series of the game for OU and find that play. It's one of the most violent hits I've ever seen in my life, and it's. It, it pisses me off still to this day that it wasn't called. And, you know, I, we, we have, there's no proof to say that that would have changed the, the game. We don't know that for sure. Um, but it, it certainly would have helped if they would have made the call. So I'm still upset about that. If it really was a targeting and, and the new rules were in place back then and Major Wright was disqualified for the rest of the game, that would have been massive because Major Wright made a lot of plays in that game. He was kind of the leader of their secondary. So I think that would have affected a lot. And also for uh, – just just because we're talking about Major Wright, uh, remember Major Wright when uh, when Delarin Turner Yell shows up on campus this summer. He absolutely reminds me of Major Wright. Uh, Major Wright was a really really good college player. It has nothing to do with with that, but it was a it was a very very dirty hit, and he should have been ejected. Is is the point? Um, uh, the other thought I had while uh, going through your monologue, Lee. Um, Recently, kind of on the big stage, at least, you know, maybe especially, you know, recently with the Rose Bowl and then, you know, uh, Clemson a couple years ago, uh, it, it kind of developed a trend where OU, you know, has looked maybe out-talented on the biggest stage, uh, you know, at least you know, certainly didn't have as much NFL bodies on the field against some of these other teams. Um, going back to the 2008 season and that national championship game, that certainly was not the case. That was an OU team that was 100% built to win a national championship. That had a lot of NFL guys on that team. 
Um, so I just wanted to point that out, that that was, that was kind of the last uh, Bob Stoops kind of mega roster before the, there, was, there was some down years in the, in the early 2010s. Um, and for the, oh, and also the, the third thought I had, uh, was just the, the huge impact of, of who was healthy on the other side and who wasn't on OU's side actually may have been the difference in the game. And of course I'm talking about Percy Harvin, who was absolutely the MVP for Florida in that game, uh, by far. And, uh, and DeMarco Murray did not play in that game for Oklahoma. I am convinced, um, if, if the situation was reversed, um, and Harvin had to sit out and Murray played that OU would have won that game, and I am certain of that. I am too. I am too. There's no question about that. Harvin was awesome in that game. I mean, there was a time, it was after, let's see, it was after the interception. No, it was the first time Oklahoma had the ball down near the goal line and was snuffed out and turned it over on downs, and it was first down from like the two yard line for Florida or uh, Florida's own two yard line the very first play of that drive Harvin busts off like a 50 yard run to take him out of the shadow of their goal line just a huge momentum shift and there was that was one of probably about a handful of plays in that game that Harvin made that totally shifted the momentum in the favor of Florida and I know in the second half he had multiple plays as well. So he, he was so good in that game. And the whole narrative leading up to it was, oh, is he going to be 100%? Is he even healthy? He was, he was 105% <laughs> for that game. He was awesome in that game. Um, yeah, just I, but but still, a, a, a championship game that a lot of people kind of forget because the game was, was kind of boring and not a lot really happened at all. But it, and it doesn't get a lot of love because it wasn't an incredibly exciting game. But those are two of the most talented teams that ever played for a championship. Um, two of by f- two, two definitely of the best teams of the BCS era playing. I I, I still think to this day um, that that 2008 OU team was is was and is the the best team of the Bob Stoops era. I still believe that. Yeah, so do I. And for those of you who are younger and haven't uh, paid much attention to college football. You know, over the last let's say twenty years, the another weird part of that game is the fact that it was on Fox because that was back before Fox did games during the regular season. So Fox only had the BCS games and like the Cotton Bowl for like a two or three year stretch. So they wouldn't have any college football games on the entire year, and then all of a sudden, the most important games of the season were on this channel that nobody watched college football on, and I hated that. I hated that that game was on Fox. It made it seem not as big, even though weirdly you'd think, oh, it should seem even even bigger because normally games aren't on this channel. So it's for a bigger game you're putting on a new channel. No, it was the opposite effect for me. It just it didn't feel like it was that big of a game because of the weird Fox graphics, and we just weren't used to Fox broadcasting games. I remember thinking that back in two thousand. Plus, Tom Brenneman and Charles Davis on the call was just kind of weird. Right, we weren't used to. It. We were used to. Brent Musburger and and Kirk Herbstreit even back then I think I think Musburger and Kirk and Herbstreit did games. Back oh yeah, then. they had already they that was probably yeah. you know they had been doing it for probably three or four years at that point. Yeah. So nowadays we get the Rose Bowl and the college football playoff games with announcers that we're kind of more familiar with. But even if it is on Fox, 
you know, we got Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson doing Fox games all season long. It wouldn't be as weird if they did it on Fox nowadays. But just what that was just one more uh, other random part about that's, that game that I remember that, that I was not a big. That's fan more of the inside uh, inside baseball college football wonky discussion there, talking about you know college football broadcasts on Fox from from 2008. I, I like I I, lo- I love talking about that stuff too. I, I'm just I'm bringing up just kind of how how funny the conversation would be to. Uh, I don't know any outsider who who sits around and talks about decade old Fox broadcasts. I certainly do. We do like all the time, actually. I, I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. All right, we're about fifteen minutes into this podcast and haven't gotten to anything going on nowadays. This is why we put down the times for each sub- subject. So hopefully, if you weren't interested at all in any of that discussion, you've fast forward and now as we're going to move on to talk about Lincoln Riley. You know, before we update our OU offense, defense, starter predictions, a couple more hot topics since our last show. Of course, the aforementioned Lincoln Riley, a guest on Adam Schefter's podcast on Monday. And I thought Riley had some interesting things on Baker Mayfield, Orlando Brown, and just the NFL in general. So I'll just go over a couple of these uh, just off the top of my head uh, from my notes. I, I'm guessing you haven't heard this, Grant. So I'll just – I have a soundbite to play from Riley here in a moment. But just a couple notes on – on May uh, on Mayfield from Lincoln Riley, uh, and I guess maybe this is out there, but I hadn't heard this yet. Riley made made the comment that a year ago people were telling him or saying that Mayfield was like a fourth or a fifth round pick, and Riley said, "Yeah, I wouldn't have thought he was a fourth or fifth round pick before that. I would have guessed he was a lot higher than that." So, in a year's time, it's kind of interesting that Mayfield jumped up from at least from the NFL's viewpoint, a fourth or fifth rounder to the number one overall pick. Did you have you heard? Had you heard that Mayfield was considered that low of a draft pick a year ago at yes, all? Or, or I'd always heard maybe like a second yes, rounder. Absolutely, I've heard that. In fact, going into the season, I thought that was kind of the consensus that he was a mid round guy. Um, in fact, that's what I thought as well that he was always a mid round guy. And I and I was Man. just going on my you know my previous knowledge about NFL scouting, which is I knew that they would knock him yeah. for his height. I knew that would instantly put him mid round, no matter what. Um, just without any sort of further analysis. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was certainly his overwhelmingly impressive, successful season that put him over the top. And it is just, and we, we've said it, you know, ad nauseum for the last two months. Look at the tape. He put, he, he put the best season on tape ever in college football. Yeah, I guess my ignorance of, uh, of everything must have made it to where I, I always thought Mayfield at the worst was going to be like a second round pick. And I thought he was going to be a first rounder following the 20, 2016 season after that sugar bowl. And I remember having discussions at work with people talking about Mason Rudolph and Baker Mayfield's potential in the NFL, as far as where they get drafted. And I remember most people I talked to were like, Oh yeah, Mason Rudolph will be drafted higher than Baker Mayfield. And I was saying, are, are you crazy? I mean, Mayfield's a much better quarterback than Mason Rudolph. And they're saying, well, I mean, look at Rudolph. I mean, he's built like an NFL quarterback and they're right. I mean, he's got all the, he's got the size. He looks like an NFL guy. He looks the part for whatever reason. I, I always figured that at worst he dropped like the second round. So I guess in a way I just kind of got lucky because you're right. The NFL certainly does put a lot of stock into uh, measurables and things like that. And, and it just, it just, it just kind of shows you where, where their head is at too, is a year at this time when people were talking about Baker as a fourth or fifth round pick at the same time, people were, were really, really talking about Josh Allen and still as a first round pick. So Josh Allen, this entire time has been just kind of on their first round radar, just based off of his physical traits um, where Baker Mayfield had kind of, you know, he, the tape has always been there. He's always been really good. And then I guess they're just, the consensus changed on it over the course of the season. Um, 
just thought it was an interesting thing. I mean, Josh Allen, of course, was 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 really one of the worst starting quarterbacks in all of college football last year, and you know he, I mean, fr- from where he was being projected, mm-hmm. he didn't really hurt himself all that much th- this past season. I just thought that was interesting. Didn't even make all conference in the Mountain West. It's just, I mean, I know it's like a war. I'm not a big award guy, but I mean, normally whenever you're a first round NFL draft pick, you're probably going to at least make all conference uh, the final year, just talent wise. So any, whatever, that doesn't matter. Uh, furthermore, on Riley on Schefter's podcast, he mentioned that he likes Baker's physical tools, belief in himself. Uh, this is as far as how he's going to translate to the NFL. And Riley said that regardless of the team, you've got to have others around you doing their part. And Riley had you know made sure to qualify and say, hey, you know, guys at Oklahoma were around Mayfield and they all did their jobs and did their parts. And so what Riley finished up the Mayfield discussion saying, he said, quote, he's going to do his part. I feel confident about that. He'll adjust well. You just put some good guys around him and he'll continue to grow. So basically what Riley was saying is that, hey, I have confidence in Baker Mayfield. Now, will his teammates be able to also do their jobs, which I think is a fair assessment as well, especially uh, when you consider the Browns have been so putrid over, uh, you know, basically since they've been back in Cleveland, with the exception, I think, one year and they won 10 well, games. Well, they're certainly not lacking for talent at the skill positions at all. So, I mean, he nope. they don't, you know, unless, unless a lot of that talent is, you know, is currently overrated talent, I, I don't really think Baker's going to have a lot of excuses on that front. Um, you know, say what you want about Josh Gordon, but the guy still somehow stepped into the NFL last season in the middle of the year, and, and he certainly still looked like a, a really good NFL player. Uh, Jarvis Landry's a pro bowler. David Njoku's a first-round pick. Nick Chubb and, and Duke Johnson. Uh, we don't know if Carlos Hyde is good or not. I lean towards almost certainly not, but, you know, we, we'll we'll find out about that. But uh, Cleveland certainly, they, they've got some – I mean, they're – they're certainly in the top half of the league, I would say, in, um, in offensive skill talent, I would say, for sure. I don't think Carlos Hyde is good, and here's why. When Jimmy Garoppolo came in last year for San Francisco and the Niners were one of the best teams, uh, this is true, I mean, they were one of the best teams in the NFL when Garoppolo came back, and they didn't lose a game. They were undefeated when Garoppolo played. During that time, Carlos Hyde was basically invisible. He didn't really do anything for them, which shows, like, even though Garoppolo was playing really well, you'd think, oh, the attention's on Garoppolo. We're not going to be able to stop the run as well. And Hyde still didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, you know, Maybe in Cleveland he'll be able to be unleashed a little bit more, but uh, I'm leading towards he's more of a plotter and he's not not that great. Uh, anyways, on, on to Orlando Brown. And Orlando Brown, uh, the subject of Orlando Brown, I should say, from Lincoln Riley was more interesting than the Mayfields. And uh, this is a quote from Riley when he was asked about Orlando Brown in the NFL with the Ravens. And Riley said, I think he's going to be tremendous. You never had to worry about him on that left side. I don't remember ever going into a game, no matter who we were playing, Auburn, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, you name it. I never remember going into a game worried about his matchup on his side. So that was Lincoln Riley to Adam Schefter on his podcast. Incredible praise. I mean, that is absolutely incredible praise, which it makes total sense watching Orlando Brown's three years at Oklahoma because he was, what was he, the, the Big 12 Offensive Lineman of the Year? Was it twice? It was twice, and he was, um, yeah, twice, and yeah, you know, because, you know, he, he just started three years. He started as a true freshman, or as a, as a redshirt yeah, freshman yeah. that first year, and I think he was, you know, he was, he was like, all conference second team or honorable mention or something like that. But then, yeah, he, he, he took off his, his sophomore year. 
so yeah, incredible praise from Riley. And uh, you know, on this podcast, we we have a lot of confidence. Orlando Brown, we, yeah, he didn't have a good combine, didn't have the best pro day either. He improved on the pro day, but his tape speaks for itself. He's a huge guy. I saw a report that he's going to try to drop about fifteen or twenty pounds. You know, now he's in the NFL. I'm sure he'll be a lot, little bit more. Uh, incentivized to do that maybe than he was at Oklahoma because he was able to play as well as he did at OU even with maybe you know extra 15 20 pounds of weight so we'll see how how he factors into the Ravens I mean he is a guy I think you've said Grant he should be a, a instantly be a fantastic run blocking you know tackle or guard depending on where he ends up playing yeah he's just he just his size he swallows people up and you know what? He's he, he's he's going to be bigger than everyone he goes up against in the NFL too. Uh, so, hey, I, I I've said it again. You know, I I I was the one who called. I thought I thought Orlando Brown would drop in the draft. I said that even before his combine performance. Um, the Ravens are getting are getting a ten year NFL veteran that they can just plug on on the right side, and he's he's going to be a stud for him. I, I expect him to start on day one for the Ravens. They they got a huge steal in the third round for him. Period. Before I get to Riley's soundbite about being asked about whether or not he plans to coach in the NFL or look towards the NFL at some point, uh, Schefter asked him which teams in the NFL he likes to pay attention to offensively and watch. And so Riley named, let's see, he named one, two, three, four, five, six different teams, and he mentioned a couple coaches. I'm curious, Grant, if you'd like to try to guess a couple of them. Like, what do you think offenses do you think Lincoln Riley would mention if, uh, you know, hey, 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 coach, which teams in the NFL do you like to kind of check check out and see what they do and maybe borrow some ideas Okay, from? so the first name off the top of my head is McVay in Los Angeles. That's almost a certainty. Yep, he mentioned McVay by okay. name in the um, After that, I would guess maybe um, who uh, who is it in, in Philly? I would guess Phil. He just – yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he mentioned the Eagles. Uh, he actually specifically mentioned the Eagles this past year, um, uh, just because of all the the RPO type concepts they ran in the Super Bowl. It you know looked like a. I think he had the quote earlier in the year, like it looked like a Big Twelve. Yeah, game. absolutely, and I, and I would guess maybe also uh, Kansas City would be a, would be another one. He didn't mention Kansas City, but he mentioned Andy okay. Reid. So yeah, basically Kansas. Yeah, City. yeah, because I remember if you recall, remember when Kansas City went into Foxborough Week One. And they just they ran a college offense and put up like 600 yards on the Patriots, so that that's mm-hmm. yeah that's that's where it, what came to mind there. I don't know what, what are the other teams. Uh, the Saints, the Packers, and the Patriots. So I mean, kind of what you'd expect. Some of the best offenses in all the Good. NFL. Yeah, and I'm sure he. Yeah, I, I'm sure he'll he, he he takes stuff that he that he likes, and I'm sure he tweaks things and. Um, it's it, the McVay guy. I mean, I, I really haven't seen a lot of the Rams play, but I'm, I'm kind of interested now. I think I might try to, to watch a little bit more than this upcoming season. I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by Sean McVay. I, I just, I, I didn't really have an opportunity to watch them a, a whole, whole lot this past year. Nor did I, although I did find out something about the Rams today that is incredibly interesting that we can get to later in the show. And if I don't bring it up, remind me of it because you would never guess this. I didn't guess this, but I totally uh, saw this stat and I was kind of blown away because I didn't I would never have guessed it about the uh, about the Rams this past year. So we'll get to that later on. Uh, now let's go to Schefter's question to Riley about going to the NFL and then we will comment on uh, on what Riley said. So this is from the Adam Schefter podcast, Lincoln Riley uh, being asked about the NFL. 
Any interest in one day making the jump to the NFL level? I don't know. I, not not anything that's in my mind right now. I I, I love where I'm at, and I I really love kind of coaching this age group. So I I don't know that you ever say never, uh, but I. You know, I, I feel like I got the best job in the country right now. I love coaching at Oklahoma, so I'm going to try to be the best one I can here. Sounds like Riley was prepared for a question like that. What do you think, Grant? Yep, that's exactly what I thought. And my first thought was that sure sounds a whole hell of a lot like Bob Stoops every time he was at, he was asked that question over the course of 20 years. Um, so, mm-hmm. hey, you know, he's – yeah, you know what? The, the NFL, I think, is always going to be a possibility like it always kind of was with Bob Stoops. Um and that's a good thing. I, I think, you know, if people are talking about Lincoln Riley going to the NFL, that means he's doing something right and the program is, is being successful. Um, you know, as as far as him possibly leaving someday for the NFL, you know what, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Who knows? He might he might go six and six this year and everyone wants to fire him. So let's oh. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll cross the bridge when we get there. That'd be a shock. Riley's only thirty four years old. Very young. Clearly loves it at Oklahoma, and I think it's interesting that he mentioned that he likes coaching this age group, which is important considering Riley has shown that he's a very good recruiter, and he's good at connecting with high school and college-age kids, so that would seem to back up why he's a fan of coaching this age group. And to your point, it would seem like we're about to go through another one of those situations like we did you know, 15, 20 years ago with Bob Stoops. You know, there's always those rumors that he would go to the NFL, but he never did. And, and you know, I, I don't think we need to worry about Riley leaving for the NFL at this point. However, I do think at some point he's going to want to make the jump. I don't see Riley moving to the NFL before he wins a national championship, though, in college. I think that's going to be number one on his list. He wants to cross that off before he makes the jump. And lastly on this, at least from my perspective, I think this is kind of interesting. Since he's so young... He's got a rare opportunity to solidify himself as a as a legendary college football coach and coach for years at Oklahoma and also have enough time to build himself up and possibly be a very good to great NFL coach as well. And at this point, I'm, pre, I'm guessing he's probably not thinking very long term like that. Why would he? You know, things are so good right now in Norman. But as time goes on and he gets more and more comfortable with being a head coach and more and more comfortable in his abilities as that head coach. I think he's going to want to find out if he can be successful at the highest level of football. That's what all competitors usually want to do. They want to see if they can make it at the highest level. And I can certainly see a situation like that with Lincoln Riley. You know, no idea when, but uh, I'd be very surprised if at some point he wasn't coaching in the NFL. Sure. Well, you know, like I said, if if his success begets an opportunity in the NFL, I will gladly welcome that if it means he was extremely successful here. I, I will welcome that 100% of the time. All right, let's talk Baker Mayfield. As many of you may know, maybe not, the Browns had their rookie mini camp this past weekend. It went Friday through Sunday in Berea, Ohio. Uh, Mayfield talked to the media. What, what, something that we learned is during this mini camp, Mayfield and Nick Chubb from Georgia were rooming together, which... Uh, I think Mayfield called it a sick joke that they were rooming together because of the because of the Rose Bowl, and uh, you know another thing too is that he was asked if they t- if they've talked about the game at all, and Mayfield said they hadn't, which I found kind of odd because don't you think that let's say you were playing and you went up against somebody in a big game like that, and then you found yourself on the same NFL team just months later, don't you think that since you have that in common that game that you would at least discuss it for a little bit, even though obviously one of the one person is 
not happy for losing. I mean, isn't that kind of odd that they hadn't discussed it yet, Grant? <laughs> I mean, I would, but like, sh- sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, I probably would talk about it too, but I mean, I don't know. It's like I'm not. I guess everyone's different, but I'm not a psychologist. I don't. I mean, they're they might they might not have time. They may, it just might not be what they're thinking about. Maybe they're going into this thing with like a professional attitude and. They're just, it's just not on the forefront of their minds. You know, maybe yeah. it was, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I, it's kind of odd. I, that'd just, be kind of the first thing that I would want to, you know, talk about too, but that's, I'm, I'm me, I'm not Baker Mayfield, so I don't really, I don't know. Um, well, I guess I skipped this whole part of the rundown. A uh, couple notes aside from that. Hugh Jackson this past weekend reiterated that Tyrod Taylor is the Browns starter. That's not going to change. Also, Mayfield spent a lot of the weekend taking snaps from under center, which is something that may have been a little bit more pleasant over the weekend because Mayfield's center from Oklahoma, his former teammate, Eric Wren, is also in Browns camp. So that's kind of neat. From those two things, uh, also, too, just the fact that we saw Mayfield in Browns gear for the first time wearing orange is kind of interesting. Any of uh, any thoughts on any of those Mayfield notes, Grant, or do you have any thoughts on anything else Mayfield related? Yeah, I mean that's uh, about Tyrod Taylor. That's that's pretty much what they've been you know saying for the last week or so. So um, I, I think you can only take it at, at what they're saying at face value. Tyrod Taylor is going to be the starter, you know, barring any injury or anything like that. Or I mean, unless unless Baker is just so much better than him, but but right now it seems like they're they're pretty set on on letting Baker sit for a year and, and letting Tyrod Taylor play and. I don't, we'll see how that works. I don't know. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's obviously examples of, of players sitting and and coming in and being successful. Aaron Rodgers obviously being the most prominent of those. Um, and there's plenty of examples of of you know players coming in right away and playing really well. Russell Wilson comes to mind. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. I I I tend to think that him sitting for a while is not necessarily a bad thing. I I think he should take as many reps as he possibly can get without actually getting hit during the game. Um, about Eric Wren, I've said, yeah, I think him and him and Flowers are probably the two uh, undrafted rookies who who have the best chance of making their team. Um, typically, undrafted offensive linemen are that's typically the position where where undrafted players typically make the team the most is on the offensive line. So so that is going in Eric Wren's direction. Uh, one more thought, Lee. Yes, uh, Mayfield wearing orange. Um, I, I don't know if anyone else shares this opinion. I thought it it did not look particularly great on him. But that's just me. That that might be my my inner bias is coming out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of like a fun thing. Like, who cares? I don't. I don't really care. I mean, yeah, it looks it looks weird, but that's just the way it is. Uh, as far as Tyler Taylor goes, my take on him is, I yeah, you know, he he's not really gonna win you any games. He's not really gonna lose you any games. He's just kind of a f- like fine quarterback. He's a fine player. Uh, he's a dink and dunk kind of guy. I mean, he averaged just 6.4 yards per pass attempt last season, which was 26th in the league. For comparison's sake, Drew Brees was number one at 8.2 yards per attempt. Uh, he doesn't throw very many interceptions, which of course is nice, but that's probably because he doesn't take very many risks because of all his dinking and dunking. And I'd say, I mean, the Bills made the playoffs last year just barely. I mean, barely because Buffalo's defense was above average and Taylor just limited mistakes. So uh, I, I think if I think if Hugh Jackson did make this a legitimate competition in training camp for hey whoever plays better wins the job I think that Mayfield will definitely beat out Tyrod Taylor I think there's no question about that do I think uh, Mayfield is better right now than Taylor I'd say no 
But by the end of August, after training camp, after all the preseason games, I would bet that Mayfield would be better than Taylor. Uh, but it's not going to matter because Taylor's going to start, which is fine. Uh, hopefully, Baker just continues to grind, learn the playbook, watch film, hit the weight room, get a little stronger, You know, build up rapport with his teammates. I have a hard time believing he'll sit all year and not ever start. I think he'll get his shot this year. I just it's impossible to tell right now what uh, what Cleveland's thinking because I do have a, a feeling that no, even if Baker looks great in the preseason, they're still going to stick to their guns and not going to want to rush the guy and, and start him right away, especially considering I think I read somewhere they have uh, Pittsburgh in week one and I think the Saints in week two, so two really good teams off uh, off the bat, which would be nice to have a veteran quarterback starting, I, I, I would assume. So that's kind of the, uh, the situation when it comes to Tyrod Taylor. Another thing I wanted to talk about when it comes to, to Mayfield, I saw that the Broncos, I saw a report from Mike Kliss, who's a Broncos insider in Denver, reported that the Broncos never intended to actually draft Mayfield. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that you know, for a couple of months, I thought that that was a great spot for Mayfield, that the Browns really wanted him. And to me, it just shows that without a shadow of a doubt, we can now say that John Elway doesn't really have any idea what he's doing when it comes to finding a quarterback for the Broncos couple examples yeah he brought in Peyton Manning congrats literally everybody in need of a quarterback would have brought in Manning if they could have that was an easy one you can't mess that up but since he retired Denver's quarterbacks have been really bad they had Brock Osweiler Paxton Lynch uh, Trevor Simeon was a seventh round pick and he's been their starter I mean he's been starting all their games and, and he's just he's a he's a guy I mean he's not their future he's not gonna win anything particularly nice and then in the offseason, they've signed Case Keenum, who is the definition of a journeyman quarterback coming off the best year of his career. And Grant, like you said, I think uh, a week or two ago or one of the recent podcasts that Keenum is possibly the third or the fourth person who you can say is responsible for his success last year with the Vikings. Yes, there's there are four people who are who are most responsible for Case Keenum's success in the 2017 season. In order of importance, those people are number one, uh, the former offensive coordinator whose name is escaping me now just because for for some reason that's happening. Uh, Pat, Pat Shermer. Shermer. Sorry. Uh, number two would be Adam Thielen, and number three would be Stephon Diggs. Number four would be Case Keenum. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see if I mean, hey, he's he's got he's got two you know talented guys he's going to be throwing to in Denver. So you know, with that, he's got he's got guys to throw to. I, I don't. I yeah. I mean, it, and they have a decent coordinator. Um, and his name has escaped me. He was the old Raiders coordinator when Derek Carr was having a Pro Bowl type year a couple seasons ago. I'm blanking on his name right now, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, who knows? Maybe Keenum will catch lightning in the bottle twice. It's just, it's crazy to me that they're banking on Case Keenum and they didn't draft a quarterback at number five. And and for my my money, I mean, I think there were three players in this draft that could have been franchise quarterbacks: Mayfield, Darnold, and Josh Rosen, and Rosen was there for Elway at five, but he goes Bradley Chubb. Okay, he goes defense, doesn't draft the quarterback at all the rest of the draft. You know, you think maybe he's waiting on another elite talent in the future or something like that. But Grant, I was looking up the quarterback draft class from next season, what it, what it might be. You know who is number one on at least I, – I looked at one list, so I guess I should look at more lists, but it's from Walter Football, which is – I they, they kind of know their stuff. You know the number one quarterback for 2019 is on this list that I, I it's Drew Locke from Missouri. Oh wow, I was going to say Will Greer. He was like 7th on the list. And mm. you know who the second best quarterback they had on the list? No. 
Clayton Thorson from Northwestern. Oh, wow. What an awful quarterback class. This class might be atrocious in 2019. So that's another year where, okay, there's not going to be really a guy, and who knows what 2020 is going to have. So, I mean, you know, whatever. We, we all could be wrong about these franchise guys. You know, maybe Josh Rosen will bust. Maybe Lamar Jackson is a franchise guy. Maybn he'll turn out to be the Ravens' next long-term quarterback. Who knows? Maybe Mason Rudolph will take Ben Roethlisberger's place. Who knows? But it's just... I don't know if he knows what he's doing for the future. So good luck to the Broncos fans because the guy in charge of putting together the team seems to be somewhat clueless when it comes to finding a quarterback. I would guess right now John Elway is kind of in no man's land because their defense as it currently is constructed is is probably good enough to win a Super Bowl. So they're probably in that weird sort of ether where you know they they have a defense that's good enough to win a super bowl they just signed a quarterback that went to the nfc championship game last year i mean who also had the number one defense in the league but couldn't get it done hey i i i can see what john elway was thinking he took bradley chubb who is kind of a play now or is a ready now type of guy to plug in um i I can see it and really i guess the only way that you can defend the way that they treated this draft is if they do think they have a window right now to win. And that, I suppose maybe they just didn't like the quarterbacks that they had the choice from. They, they must not have loved Rosen because he was right there for them to take. Mm-hmm. Or, or they must have valued uh, Chubb this season more so over Rosen in the future. I, I don't know. My, my guess is they think they, had, they still have a window to win a Super Bowl. Um, I, I, would, I, I would tell John Elway that if you... Um, if you honestly think that you can win a Super Bowl with Case Keenum, I think you're being silly. But um, you know, we'll see. I, I'm sure a va- you know, nobody thought that uh, that Nick Foles could win a Super Bowl, um, and that happened. So I, I suppose if you're John Elway and that's what you're banking on, I I, I wouldn't suggest it. But um, good luck with that. I mean, their defense is really good, and they they added probably the best defensive player in the draft to go along along with it. Ooh, I just noticed. Okay. I promise we'll get to the offensive-defensive starter predictions shortly. There's one more bit on Mayfield that I forgot to get to that I wanted to touch on. It's about the whole under center, taking snaps under center. And this will kind of come back to earlier when I was saying about the Rams. I saw a stat that I couldn't believe. So I want to just comment on the fact that Mayfield spent all weekend or most of the weekend learning how to take snaps from under center. And I find this whole issue incredibly antiquated. It shows to me how far behind the NFL is offensively compared to college football. The must-learn-to-take-snaps-under-center argument to me is related to the quarterback X played in a pro-style offense in college, therefore he's more ready for the NFL. Like, what if offensive coaches in the NFL are just, are just behind? Like, what if going under center isn't as important as it used to be? Uh, and so I went back and looked at, at some stats. Six NFL teams in, two, in 2017 took 70 or more percent of their snaps out of the shotgun. And this is according to numbers calculated by sharpfootballstats.com. One of those six teams was the Browns. Another one of those teams was the Steelers, an offense which Todd Haley coordinated. Where's Todd Haley now? In Cleveland. So I don't think learning to play from under center is as important as it used to be. However, Mayfield obviously needs to practice it enough to make sure he's not a disaster when he's asked to play that way. I just think it's... The whole argument about how, oh, you got to learn to do snaps or take snaps under center, I think that's kind of outdated at this point. It's not as important as it used to be. And the stat about the Rams, though, that I found fascinating, you would have thought with that kind of offense last season that was very high-flying, 
uh, kind of like spread RPO pro style. When in actuality, Grant, the Rams took more snaps from under center than out of the shotgun last season. 58% of their snaps came under center. Just 42% came out of the shotgun. That does That's surprise me. But at the same time, I, was, I, was, I mean, McVay was, was Kirk Cousins' offensive coordinator in Washington, and he was under center all the time. So with that context, it's not that surprising. But, you know, typically when you do think of young offensive mind, you don't think of under center. So, um, And also I think a part of that, too, is they relied on Todd Gurley quite a bit, which you get the running game going a lot better seemingly when you're going under center and you're you're allowing the running back to get downhill and also it opens up play action as well yeah so, and so hey I've I've been I, I've, I've thought this for damn near a decade I've always thought the under center thing is stupid um, I thought it was stupid in 2007 when the Patriots who went 16 and 0 this that there's that's still the best NFL team of all time they were pretty much running Texas Tech's offense that season they were throwing it 50 times a game out of the shotgun um, it was it was a stupid argument then, and it still is now. Um, I, I can't remember if I brought this up, Lee, during Super Bowl time, but I did go back and I charted every single play during the Super Bowl. I went through the box score. Um, over 70% of the snaps in the Super Bowl for both teams, Lee, were, um, were out of the shotgun um, combined. I think I, I think the final, was it was like uh, the Patriots took like 56% of their snaps from the shotgun, and the Eagles took like 90% of their snaps from the shotgun in that game. So it's just, it's... And and what that was the most offense that was the most pointsy championship game ever like in the history of championship games and like any football sport. <laughs> so I, it's just I, I don't want to hear it anymore. It's stupid. It, it's dumb. The 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 like you said the college game the offenses right now are are very far ahead of the NFL. The NFL is kind of living in the past right now with with some West Coast stuff. That's one thing that kind of makes me nervous about. Mayfield and the Browns because although Todd Haley has a nice track record he is old school he's been around for a long time I'm not sure how open he will be to change and 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 adjusting his offense so Todd we'll, Haley likes to throw the ball he likes to throw the ball to the running back too I, I Todd Haley is a is a good offensive coordinator he knows what he's doing yeah it's it's again though it's how much of it was the personnel he's had to work with in Pittsburgh for the last six or seven years and how much of it was his actual scheme or both I guess we'll find out more this next year with the Browns. All right, let's get to the 2018 OU Sooners. We did it back in February, middle of February, I believe February 14th, whatever podcast that was, we did our way too early offensive and defensive starter predictions for 2018. We have gone back and we've charted all of our picks, all of our predictions then. And now that spring ball and everything's over, we're about two and a half months later, almost three months later, we're going to do it again. And if you remember back then, I'm sure you remember Grant, but if, if you remember as a listener, the offensive side of the ball was not as interesting as the defensive side of the ball because there wasn't as many question marks on the offensive side of the ball. So because of that, let's just get that out of the way. Let's do offense first, Grant. Uh, I'm going to pull mine up. I don't know what yours are. You don't know what mine are either. Mm -hmm. um, I have, let's see, I have mine listed. Uh, do you have your original picks listed? No, well? but I No, but I remember them. All right, well, I can pull them up, too, because I emailed you them the other day. Uh, let's just start with – hold on, pull this up. Okay, if you remember, um, let's go with the offensive line first. Okay, Who yeah. Do you have, yeah, 
Go, yeah, we'll go start. Ahead, start okay. with the offensive line. And, and I'll, just, I'll just go position by position, and I'll tell you if, if it was a change. And so we'll start off with a change. Um, so my original prediction back in February at left tackle, I, I assumed that Bobby Evans would slide over. Um, all indications from Springer is that that is not going to happen, is that Bobby Evans looks like he's going to stay on the right side. And it, I think Cody Ford is probably going to be the starting left tackle against Florida Atlantic um, on September 1st. So, Lee, I have, I have Cody Ford in at left tackle now. All right. Well, at left, laugh at left tackle for me. I was in agreement with you back in February of Bobby Evans, and now on May the ninth, I also am going to stick with Bobby Evans. I think he's going to. I think he will end up moving to left tackle. And here's my rationale. Although we saw him at right tackle during the spring game, I still think he's going to move over to play left tackle by week one because one, like we've said before. It just makes sense to move Evans because he's a Sooners best tackle and your best tackle usually plays left tackle. And two, if you look at the spring game depth charts, it looks like maybe Bill Biedenbow and Lincoln Riley and and Cale Gundy and whoever else factors into who plays and, and the depth charts for that spring game. It seems like they were trying to see what they had in other unproven players. For example, on Trent Williams's team, the starting offensive line was Bobby Evans, Tyrese Gibson, Creed Humphrey, Ben Powers, and Cody Ford. Now, instead of moving Evans over to left tackle, they kept him at right tackle, which we saw that, that which we were surprised. Well, who played right guard next to Evans all last season? Right guard next to, to Evans was, oh, wait. S- Samia. Oh, okay. Samia and Ford. Samia and Ford. Okay, so yeah. I have this messed up, yeah. Well, Ford was kind of the free agent of the guards. He would, he, he would. Oh, that's right. He, he would rotate okay. in with Samia and Powers or whenever either of them needed a breather. Ooh, okay, so I'm, I'm making a mistake live on the podcast. I had it flipped. So my theory is uh, doesn't make sense now. I was thinking, okay, I, I for some reason I had been, I thought Ben Powers was there. But no, Ben Powers is at left guard next to Orlando Brown all year. Whew, okay. Um, well, so my theory doesn't really have any sort of thing to back it up, so never mind. Uh, well, so let's let's just say this then. Um, I, I would assume with that. You, um, so I I have Cody Ford at left tackle. You have uh, you have Bobby Evans at left tackle, and then I'm yes. assuming I'm assuming your with that your left guard, center, and right guard would be the would be the same as the last time. Yeah, my ben entire Powers, offensive Creed line. Humphrey and Drew my, my entire offensive line is is not changed. I have the same. I have Evans, Powers, Alvarez, Ford, Samia. Oh, that's right. You have Alvarez, um, and so I have, and just so I, I think Creed Humphrey is, is going to be the starting center. Um, at least I've said as much. I, I this is um, if Jonathan Alvarez wins that job, um, I would say we should start panicking about the offensive line. Um, not maybe not panicking, but we should be a, a tad concerned with the middle of the offensive line um, because Jonathan Alvarez is just is is honestly is just at best an average to below average player. Um, he, he really shouldn't be starting on a, on a national championship contending team. So uh, just, just to recap, uh, my, my projected offensive line is, is Ford at left tackle, Powers uh, at left guard with Creed Humphrey at center, Samia at right guard, and then, and then Bobby Evans right back at, at right tackle. All right, so our, our offensive lines are uh, considerably different. I, I stuck with my guns from the first prediction, and uh, you've changed it up a bit. So next up, the wide receivers you had a depth chart before and well i just i i, I just named like the five top receivers uh plus i i added calcaterra and there's a tight end this time though i actually wanted to to actually use the the designations they actually use on their depth chart which is a which is uh 
X and Z receivers are the two outside receivers. Um, and the, uh, the H receiver is kind of like the slot, and then Y is the tight end, basically. Um, so I decided to use those designations. Um, and so at X and Z receivers are the two outside receivers. I have CeeDee Lamb and Marquise Brown. Um, I That's pretty much penciled in. I can't. Those two obviously are going to be starting. Uh, the H receiver uh, is the same as last year in the slot as Michael Jones. I, you know, I think he'll be starting as well. Um, and then Grant Calcaterra is the Y receiver. I don't think any of this is remotely controversial. If if any of this is is not if this is not the case on opening day, I'd be pretty surprised. And if it's not the case, it's it's most likely because they just have a funky formation. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't go the whole whole. I did the same as last time. I just went with the. the two receivers they had starting with lamb and brown I, but i mean i i, I thought about yeah no i i this time around i thought about you know should i actually predict who i think is going to be walking like on the field for the first play of the game on offense and i thought to myself you know i i just because we really haven't heard a lot uh, about the two fullbacks carson meyer and, and jeremiah hall i just wouldn't be surprised at all if we don't see a lot uh, of of the fullback next year I just it wouldn't surprise me, um, and so I, I I kicked the tires a little bit or, or think I thought about uh, maybe doing a double running back starting thing with having Rodney and Trey Sermon oh. as a start because I I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of their base offense next year the the two running back look. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I had uh, originally so okay so those are the wide receivers for me it's basically I mean I'll, the original starting lineup we just had two receivers. And obviously, the top two receivers are C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown returning. Uh, after that, both of us had Rodney Anderson at running back. That's not going to change right now. You're saying though, uh, it's tough to predict between you know the fullback slash H back Dimitri Flowers role. So maybe they'll come out with a double running back scenario with Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon. If they were to play running back, play a, a fullback though, I've decided that it would. Right now, I'm going to go with Carson Meyer because it sticks with my seniority theme, which I'm going for, which is why I have Alvarez at center. Just at this point, I'm just going to give it to seniority. And I, Meyer and Hall, none of those guys particularly stood out to me much during the spring game. It's hard. So uh, previously, I didn't have anybody because I didn't even know who to pick for the fullback uh, before. So now I'm just going to go with with Carson Meyer at that position and then quarterback, I'm sticking with Kyler Murray. Yeah. And so I, I think they're, they're going to go, they're about to go through a bit of a transition year. I think of that H back position, the guy who I think is the future of the position um, is not on campus yet. It's um, it's Braden Willis. He's going to be a summer guy who comes in. I think he's, he actually fits that role a lot better in terms of size and athleticism. I think he's, he's most likely the future of the position, um, but it's just, it's not going to be enough time to get him up to speed, you know, just with three to four weeks of practice beforehand. I, I just, I can't imagine he's going to be ready to step in. Um, and we just, I, there's just no smoke at all with Jeremiah Hall. I just haven't heard anything about him, and I just I, I I have to assume it's just because he he's there's just something maybe not clicking, and so yeah, I, I would go with Carson Meyer too. I think when they do have an H back out there, it's it's a majority of the time going to be Carson Meyer. But like I said, it would surprise me at all if 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 we don't see um, that position utilized as much this upcoming season. So to recap the offense, the offensive line for me has stayed exactly the same as it did in February. Grant, though, has switched up the offensive line a bit, and all the skill positions for the most part have not changed at all. Uh, again, the offense was the easier of the, uh, the two sides of the football to predict. The defense, on the other hand, as before, 
is more interesting. And if you remember, there's a lot of fireworks when we did this in, in February. We did the defense. I think we did it like a week later in like February 21st or something like that. And right off the bat, we did defensive line. And, I mean, you, you were calling me crazy. You are saying that there's absolutely no way Kenneth Mann starts or can play for, for OU. And so we'll, let's start there, the defensive line, a defensive end. I had Kenneth Mann in February. I'm sticking with Kenneth Mann as a starting defensive end now in, in May. What say you? Well, seeing as that there's one defensive end that starts on the team – and that, and there's no way that's not Amani Bledsoe. You're crazy. It's Amani. Um, um, no, there's two defensive. They have two defensive ends. Did you did you not go look at the de- the depth chart and the three four leads a nose guard a defensive tackle and a defensive okay, it's, end? It's it's essentially it's you look at the if you the, think for a spring, second in the spring that game, OU is going to roll out a a like a 260 pound defensive end and a 250 pound defensive end to go along with like a 295 pound Neville Gallimore in the defensive line, you're insane. In this I don't know why game, we have to keep having this conversation. Both in the spring game, the depth chart, it was, it was a defensive end, a nose guard, and a defensive end, and a jack. You also just you, you just got done explaining to me like no, no more than five minutes ago that they may have shuffled around the offensive line during the spring game just to see what was going on, just to experiment. You don't think they would saying, do that? On, on, both, well, on both teams, though, that was, they, didn't have a, uh, they didn't have a D-tackle and a nose guard, which basically a D-tackle and nose guard is the same exact position. I don't know why they're... It's not the same position. And you know that. <laughs> it's they have different the same, responsibilities. It's essentially the same position. It's a guy they don't, in the middle of the... A, a nose guard is responsible for taking up blocks. A in defensive a 3-4, tackle... a nose guard and a defensive tackle is essentially the same position because there's one interior lineman that's job is to take up a lot of space. And whether that's... or not you're a defensive tackle or nose guard, it's the same thing. Depends on where you line up. I mean, a nose guard is normally lines up right over, over the center. Okay, that's no, a nose guard. But also a defensive tackle can do that exact same thing as well. I'm just telling you in a traditional 3-4 look, it is a defensive end, a defensive tackle, and a nose guard. And that is what they have done. Pretty, that's what they did all of last year. And I don't really care about the spring game because I'm going off of what they did last year for their formations. Um, but anyway... It's 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 going it's going to be Amani Bledsoe there. I, I know you're going to fight me on this f- for a long time, but I promise you that it is going to be Amani Bledsoe and not Kenneth Mann starting at defensive end on day one. I promise you. Okay, but like that's I guess that's where we differentiate because I mean it's a three four is you have two defensive ends and a, and a defensive tackle, and the other defensive end is going to be Amani Bledsoe. So I think Mann and Bledsoe are going to be starting. They're not, but that's I mean. Okay, if you have that opinion. All right, so this is that would be they would be so happening. if they did that they would be so small on the defensive line. I don't even think you're you're properly like giving that enough credence. <sighs> no, I, Do you have any idea how how tiny they would be on the defensive line if they were to Grant, do that? Kenneth Mann is basically DJ Ward, but maybe even better. So I don't know why you can't get that through your head. I don't know why you can't get your head that they don't play two defensive ends in a three four. The defensive ends are the defensive end and the jack. Those are the the jack is the other glorified defensive end. All right. So, anywho, the, the the starting the starting defensive line on day one against FAU is going to be Amani Bledsoe, Marquise Overton, and Neville Gallimore. I promise. I guarantee it. They're the three. They're the three most tenured people rema- or, uh, back on the defensive line, and they're also the three best players on the defensive line. 
and they all play different positions. Those are going to be the three starters on the defensive line on day one. I like I'm actually I'm almost more confident in that than I am of like the offensive line predictions. Okay, so so say those again. So who's your three defensive linemen? It's going to be Amani Bledsoe, Mark Marquez Overton, and Neville Gallimore will be the three starting defensive linemen. Okay. Well, I think it'll be Kenneth Mann, Marquise Overton, and Amani Bledsoe. Those are my three defensive linemen. And maybe and you might maybe Maybe throw in Dylan Famatu over Marquise Overton because we heard a lot of good things about Famatu this well, spring. And, and Tyree Slot too. I mean, Famatu and Tyree Slot started at that interior line spot during the spring game, and I mean, and Marquise Overton didn't play in the spring game, which I'm not well, sure he was why probably he, hurt. Yeah, a lot of people didn't play. Marquise Overton was their most consistent, maybe arguably best defensive lineman all of last year. So yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, his 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 starting spot might be locked up. It might be Gallimore who is who is jockeying with with Famatu. But it's it's certainly going to be Bledsoe and Overton. Well, just to go back, we we'll talk about the changes. Uh, in February, I had Kenneth Mann and I had Monty Bledsoe playing in, inside at defensive tackle, and I had Marquise Overton as well as the third defensive lineman. So now I have the same exact three. I just have I have Bledsoe moving, or yeah, I have Bledsoe moving his spot. Uh, are your what's is is yours the same as before? Yeah, yeah, it's it's the same starters. All right, so onto the the second level, onto the linebackers. Originally, I had Mark Jackson at the Jack linebacker position, and today I am sticking with Mark Jackson at the Jack linebacker position because, again, seniority and he's a he's a player that that I like that I thought would have a lot more of impact last season. He did not. So I, I would hope that this next year he has a little bit more of an impact within the defense. Who's your Jack now? Well, Lee, that's actually where I made a change. I switched it to Mark Jackson Jr. In February, I had Addison Gums. Um, I, just kind of based off of everything that happened during spring, I, I think Gums is going to play a lot. He's going to play a ton. Um, Jackson, just they, there seemed to be more talk about Jackson, about how he was, uh, you know, they just had him playing more positions. They 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 they, they seem to have an idea of what they want Mark Jackson to be. It it just seems like he's going to be a big part of the defense, um, in, in terms of you know in the things that he can do. And, and he's this is also the, the the third or fourth year he's been in the program. It just makes sense. Um, so the the big thing that I changed here, Lee, is that I went. I, I actually completely changed the the formation. I, I think d- did you do that? I, I I told you that I changed up the formation. So when I was when I was projecting the starters in February, I was I was basing it off of a three four look, and now now I I think it's their their base is going to be a three three five. Did you go along with me or did you stay in the three four? Uh, I stayed with the basic three four with the with the the note that when they go to five defensive backs, I have who I think will play in that certain position. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I have the same note for if when they're in a regular three four, so we can we can cross that bridge when we get there. So that's uh, so we're in simpatico with the Jack. You've made a switch. I've stayed the same. Mark Jackson. Yeah, my, my linebackers, Lee, are actually completely different. Not uh, there's two. These next two players are the same, but they're um, different positions. All right, let's move on to the Will linebacker. And back in February, I predicted that John Michael Terry would would take over Emmanuel Beal's spot at Will. But now that time has gone by, we've learned more. So this one's actually easy because they've told us now that Caleb Kelly is going to be the will. At least that's what we know now. So I have Caleb Kelly at the will linebacker. What about you? I also have Caleb there. Um, and if, if you recall, actually, I had Kenneth Murray there back in February. Um, I, I, I thought that there was still kind of a lot of smoke at that time that they were thinking about maybe changing positions on him. 
Um, now that they've moved Caleb Kelly there, that's obviously not going to happen. So Kenneth Murray is locked in at middle linebacker. Caleb Kelly locked in at, at weak side. Those are the two linebackers that will likely never leave the field for OU this year. So, oh, did you just say Kenneth Murray at Mike again? Yeah, Kenneth Murray is going to be at Mike again. That's, I mean, that's that's penciled or that's that's penned in. That's that's absolutely going to happen. So yeah, I had Kenneth Murray at middle linebacker again as well. I have him there now as well too. But now I'm gonna we're gonna switch roles here because before you were kind of on the fence, like I don't know, they're gonna move Kenneth Murray. He's not a good Mike linebacker, and I said, well, he's got a lot of experience there now. That's important. He's gonna stay there because who else could play there? You know what? Well, who's to say that? that Caleb Kelly is actually going to play Will. I mean, they moved him to inside linebacker. Yeah, he's been asking questions about Will. But what are the, I, mean, I think there's there's certainly a scenario where they actually put Caleb Kelly at Mike linebacker and move Kenneth Murray over to the Will linebacker when all is said and done. That definitely could happen. It could happen. I, well, I mean, will it? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe I, they, they feel like Kenneth, because usually the Will linebacker is considered the you know, more, more like athletic kind of linebacker that can move yeah, around. Yeah, no, I think Kenneth Murray is a guy that we want to have moving around a little bit more and have the more stronger kind of veteran kind of guy and, and Caleb Kelly at Mike. Don't get me wrong. I mean, these uh, so that's weird. Like both of these both of these players are not really suited for Mike. These are both weak side linebackers. So Caleb Kelly is playing in the right position. Kenneth Murray is slightly out of position. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I could see it. I, I doubt it. I, I don't think Caleb Kelly is ever going to play middle. Um, I don't think he's got the size. Um, Kenneth Murray does have the size to play the middle. I think he, he's more of like a, a rangy athlete, which is why I think he's he's more situated for the weak side. But um, no, I, I think I think Kenneth Murray is capable of playing middle. I, I just I, I don't know if Caleb Kelly is. I, I think he's he's a perfect fit for a weak side guy. Man, talking about size of the middle linebacker is never going to be the same though because. You know, with with Roquan Smith, who was awesome, he's like middle line. He's a middle linebacker, and everyone was yeah, his yeah, size. Yeah, he's not huge, but Roquan Smith. I mean, he's an outlier. He's yeah, the best probably. college defender I've ever seen. So, I mean, not really much we can gleam from that. Yeah, I mean, size not everything. Yeah, but anyway, so we'll we'll move on to the uh, the secondary. Lee, I I, I well, said that I oh yeah or, yeah yeah you changed. Okay, I was gonna say what about the sandbacker, but you've changed. Yes, I don't. I, so I'll I'll say who I I've replaced the Sam linebacker in my prediction with a Nickelback, um, which is kind of the direction that defense in college football is going, or it has been the last couple of years. The Sooners haven't necessarily gotten the hint, um, but anywho, I'm I'm hoping they will now because they have the perfect Nickelback, and that's that's Buki Radley Hiles. Um, so I, I think uh, you you've seen in the past. I know Alabama did this with Minka Fitzpatrick. He was their Nickelback this past year. A lot of teams are putting their most versatile, most talented um, defensive back at that nickel back position because it's very versatile. They can do a lot of different things, and they provide more value. Um, that's just kind of the trend now. Put your best defensive or put your best defensive back at nickel back, and let them be multiple. Um, and all just all indication are saying we said it after the spring game, but I mean, Brendan Radley Hiles looks like the best player on the defense. Period. Well, I I still have the three four setup, so I have one more linebacker to to pencil in. And previously, I had Caleb Kelly at the Sam linebacker. That was before we we knew he was moving more to the inside or moving to the inside. So at Sam linebacker now, I'm predicting that Ryan Jones will be that guy when Oklahoma's in the three four. I thought he looked formidable in the spring game. He he showed the ability to pressure the quarterback. They blitzed him quite a bit in that game. It seemed like they were comfortable 
moving him around and, and having him play in that position. And we haven't heard much about Ryan Jones, but I know he's a guy that you like a lot, and I can totally see him fitting in there because I just I don't know how much I I buy into John Michael Terry or Levi Draper at that Sam spot. I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, John Michael Terry perhaps he he has a shot because I know he had injury issues last year and that kind of took him out of it. Uh, but I'm pretty sure he got healthy at one point and still was never able to crack the the lineup. And then, of course, you have Curtis Bolton, too, who, who is kind of a, a dark horse in that scenario. But I'm going to go with Ryan Jones at Sam. Uh, as far as Buki goes, Grant, because you, you moved on to the secondary and you mentioned the nickelback, I have uh, Buki at strong safety because in the spring game, he played a mixture of strong safety and nickelback. So uh, I have Buki pl- starting at strong safety, and when Oklahoma goes into their nickel package, I think Buki will slide over to the nickelback, and they'll bring in somebody else to play strong safety, whether it's Jordan Parker or Trey Brown or Justin Broyles or Patrick Fields, one of those guys. That's kind of what I'm looking at right now as far as uh, Buki's role in the offense or the defense. Sorry. Yeah, and I actually do agree. I think um, I, I think when they are at four defensive backs, I agree with you. I think Buki will be one of the safeties along with Cleo Houghton. Um, and, and I would guess in that situation, the safety that would come off the field would be Robert Barnes um, or Chance Sylvie um, along those lines. But you know, we'll 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 get there. I, I did want to mention Lee. Um, in a 3-4 look, what my four linebackers would be in that look. And actually, Lee, I, I'm going to kind of take a flyer on this because I, I heard it mentioned a lot during the spring game and over the course of the spring uh, of how multiple they were being with Mark Jackson and how he was actually spending a lot of time on the strong side as well. Um, I have a little theory, um, and, and just because it, it it just jives so so much with what the way Mike Stoops thinks. Um, I, I think when they go into a three, four look, they're going to bring Addison gums in as the Jack and they're going to move Mark Jackson over to the strong side. That's, that's honestly what I think they're going to do. Uh, and I'm, I don't, I, I don't just be, just because I, they're, they're giving us hints and clues that they're going to do that because they've played Mark Jackson everywhere and they've only played Addison gums in one place. Yeah. I mean, um, and, Mark Jackson has shown the ability to play a lot of positions. It seems like the Swiss army knife of the defense, kind of like flowers was with the yeah, offense. Now I, so now the thought of that doesn't like that doesn't excite me. Um, Mark Jackson, his his body type does not really jive well with what you want in a strong side linebacker. That would be more of uh, what you want with Ryan Jones. You want a guy who's more like a safety or someone like Buki who can cover. I I, I just I, I don't know if Mark Jackson can cover. So it, it's it's an interest and your strong side backer in a three four, especially playing in the Big Twelve, needs to cover. Um, so we'll you know we'll see. And this is all conjecture at this point. It's. I try. I just. I try not to take too much from the spring because so much can change. Um, but you know that that is really you know all the information we can go off of now. Well, I hope Mark Jackson can cover because I have him starting at the Jack linebacker. And even though we don't really think about the Jack linebacker as a player that's supposed to cover that position, responsibility does involve covering players from time to time. So Oboe showed the ability to do that from time to time, which is kind of uh, something you don't think about when you think of Oboe. You think of Oboe as just rushing the passer and getting sacks and getting pressure. Uh, He could cover decently whenever he was asked to do that in the Jack position, so I hope Mark Jackson can do that. So you've uh, done Nickelback. We're sticking in the secondary. Who do you have at free safety? Um, You know, it'll probably be – and so so based off this, I I think in my my nickel look, the free safety in the situation I think would be Robert Barnes – and then who his, missed most of the spring, so we didn't get a chance yeah, to see and, him in the spring game at all. And and this hasn't changed at all from what I pre- this is what I predicted in February as well. And I I, I alluded at that point, and I still will hear it, it's more of a hope. It's more of a hope that Robert Barnes comes up and wins the job because he needs to. 
He really needs to. They really need him to win that job. They need his talent to win out. And that's that's all I'll say about that. Free safety in February, I had Chance Sylvie winning the starting free safety job, but I have switched it now to Khalil Houghton. I had Houghton at strong safety before, but in the spring game, seeing Buki play at strong safety and also seeing Houghton play at free safety in that game, it made me think, okay, maybe they look at Houghton more as just a free safety, not really a strong safety. Heck, they had Patrick Fields on Houghton's team playing strong safety, which I would have assumed Patrick Fields was more of a free safety than a strong safety. Again, spring game, you shouldn't take too much from it, but it's a snapshot in time you know it's what they're seeing right now and so that's all we can go off of so I'm going to go as Khalil Houghton as the free safety at this point uh, changing it from Chance Sylvie to Khalil Houghton Uh, and then at cornerback I had Buki and Trey Norwood or Parnell Motley I did the or thing but now that I have Buki at strong safety I've gone back to the starting cornerbacks just being straight up Trey Norwood and Parnell Motley uh, and then Wait, you had you had Norwood over Motley. I said Norwood in the first one. I said Trey Norwood or Parnell Motley. I didn't. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't have a. But I do believe oh, I did I mention though that I was a little higher on Norwood than Motley. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I guess I just disagree. I don't. I don't think there would be an or desi- if if they did put Buki at, Buki at corner. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Motley and Norwood are even really that close. I think Motley's a lot better. But that's just me. I think Trey Norwood's coverage skills are next to Buki are the best on the team. So I, And that's the most important thing as a corner as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we saw time and time again Jordan Thomas just fail to fail to fail to cover at that position last year, and, and it, it killed OU, and that, especially in that Iowa State game, obviously the one game they lost before Georgia. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, still, I'm still very uh, iffy on Trey Norwood. And I know I, I haven't been I haven't been fully converted to train or he's he's so small. I, I just I just don't see him holding up and yeah, I don't like and, his and ability. I don't like his yeah, I don't like his run defense. I don't like that at all. It's just I, would just, I mean, I would teams, I would freaking run throw, to his man. side so much. I just all day. I'd run to his side all day. But yeah, we hey. saw that. We saw that against uh, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State did that a lot and took him out of the play quite a bit when Justice Hill was going down downhill a lot. Nope pun intended uh, scoring so yeah sure so just to finish off um i so i i at str- just to go back to safety at strong safety i do have khalil houghton um the reason why we why we differ on those is because lee's kind of going off the spring game which is fine i'm going off of just so khalil houghton played strong safety last year and robert barnes played free safety so that's that's what i'm going off of um those might be interchangeable We'll see, but that's what Khalil I was. Khalil Houghton played of. both safety positions last year because Robert Barnes missed a lot of time. Yeah, Khalil Houghton plays everything. So Khalil Houghton so is. I mean, all those all those safeties yeah. are basically interchangeable. At least last Khalil, season they yeah. were. Yeah, I th- I think at at you know in terms of this in terms of the secondary, I think you can you can absolutely pretty much say for sure that Houghton, Motley, Norwood, and Buki are going to be starting. I think that's pretty pretty obvious right now. It's just depending on are they going to add that that fifth defensive back in their in their base coverage is really the the question. Because um, as, as as far as safeties go, I think Houghton absolutely is going to be a starting safety. It's just who's going to be opposite of him. And I think just based off of my assumption that that Buki is going to be a, a nickel back, I, I think it's just going to be Motley and Norwood at the corner positions. So you know. It's definitely interesting. I, I, the secondary is by far the most interesting position group on the team. I think um, it, it by far has the most uh, it has the most depth really of any um, position group in the entire program, and I think it has the most uh, like ready to play now players 
out of any of the position groups. So I'm I'm really excited about about the mm-hmm. defensive backs, um, especially the corners. Like I, this is it's crazy. You got Motley and Norwood who are probably starting corners, and I I mean I, I Trey Brown might be better than both of them, and so so might Justin Broyles. We don't know. I, it's that's why it's it's exciting. So I'm. I'm so I I hope they get creative with their secondary this year. I hope they they're rotating a lot of guys, and I hope they they just have a lot of depth there. I, I think they're going to be fun to watch this year. Yeah, I mean they've accumulated a lot of talented players, a lot of four star players, and then you have Buki as a five star. I mean this is what you want. I mean I wish you could say the same thing about their linebacking core and their defensive line core, but no, the secondary is where they have the most talent, which. Makes sense considering it should be this way all the time. It's the Big 12. You should want all these talented defensive backs to want to come and, de- and defend in this conference because they throw the ball around so much. And, uh, I mean, it's good to see that Buki decided to come here and he wants to, to show off his stuff. And, and I'm the same as you. I'm excited for the secondary and, and I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Yeah, and so I, I, have, this, I, I have this kind of just small, just like inkling, a feeling um, that you know, Buki, you know, notwithstanding, I, I, I just, I have a feeling that Trey Brown is just going to be a, a really important player on this team, and it's just call it intuition or what. I just have a feeling, and I think eventually he's he's going to be a starter on this team at some point in this year, and I think he's just going to be a, a a really big time player for this program. Um, so that I, I guess I'm calling my shot on Trey Brown, I suppose, if if, if you want to say that. Yeah, and there's another four star, uh, another four star guy. So I mean, it's. Not out of the realm of possibility that he has some impact player potential. Ah, and and Delaren Turner Yell still just not, is not even on campus yet. Really excited for that guy. Some <laughs> of the best, seriously, some 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 of the best high school film uh, for for a defensive back I've ever seen. He's undersized, but my, he is. He was just so much better than everyone else on the field. It's 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 tape like that, and so it's go go watch it if you want. You'll be excited too. Well, it's uh, I'm watching Buki's tape. That's the way I, I felt watching him in high school. Just I mean, two three minutes of tape and thought, man, this guy just knows what he's doing. He understands how to play. And then I get it. It's just the spring game, but it was clear as day how good he was in that spring game. Uh, granted, you know, wasn't the, wasn't the best day for passing quarterbacks. The weather was horrible. So you know, how much did that factor in? I don't know. But uh, guy's good. So maybe. Uh, Delarian Turner Yell will be good as well. So those are our uh, updated way too early offensive and defensive starter predictions for 2018. Anything else, Grant, or uh, are you ready to call this one? I don't know. Do you have any other, any other just like final thoughts before we we go into the long summer of God? I hate guys. I hate the summer so much. It's so there's just no news. Nothing happens. I think last year about last year in June is when Bob Stoops retired, so we had something to talk about. But yeah. I mean, this is just June seventh, I believe, is the it, day Bob Stoops retired. If you don't have a baseball team to follow in the summer, the summer is so freaking long and boring. I just I can't stand it. Um, and I I I do have a baseball team to follow, but they are currently the worst team in all of Major League Baseball right now. So I've I've checked out. So I'm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just I I need September to come and and come as fast as humanly possible. Yeah, these are the times, I always say it, I'm incredibly jealous of huge NBA fan guy and huge Major League Baseball fan guy. Just incredibly jealous of them because their seasons just last seemingly forever, whereas big football fan guys like you and I are kind of left out in the cold where our favorite sport happens from you know about mid-August, it really starts to heat up until the beginning of February. So really you get what? 
September, October, November, December, January. That's five, about five and a half months of actual football, whether between college and pro. And we got to wait a week before between every game. So, and you got to wait a week. Whereas in, in Major League Baseball, I mean, you get from April. I mean, really, if you're really into it, you can start getting excited in mid February and then early March when spring training begins. And you and I are kind of coming at it from different angles. I'm a, I, I, I am a big baseball guy when, you know, you can call me a fair weather fan all you want. You know, it's, you're not a Cincinnati Reds fan, so you wouldn't understand. Um, but I, I, I do think Major League Baseball during the summer is is freaking dynamite when your team is fun to follow. Um, you, you may disagree. I'm not sure. But I, I, I really do think baseball is incredibly fun to follow in the summer when your team is good. Um, when they're not good, it's it's painful. When So mm-hmm. take that as, as you will. So anyways, yeah, we got a uh, long ways to go. So uh, this show has come to an end again. We are going to take a break from West of Everest to kind of recharge the batteries. And, of course, again, this is the time of the year when news is just slow, football-related news, that is. If anything big happens that's worth discussing, we'll jump on. We'll do another podcast. But until then, we'll be on hiatus for, I'm going to say, for at least the rest of this month. For at least the rest of May, we'll be on hiatus. So check the West of Everest Facebook page for updates. Also... We're going to try to use this time to, to effort some interesting guests for the podcast. A big part of it, though, is, is booking the right people and also getting the technology sorted out so we can continue to bring you all high-quality content along with high-quality sound because I don't want to produce a podcast with a guest that doesn't sound very good because then if you can't hear what the guest is saying or what we're saying, it's kind of useless. So until the next time... Thanks for listening to the show. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.